0: Hi everybody, and welcome to Saturday Night Live After Party Off Week Special as we cover November 2018 in review. My name is Mike Bloom, back again to break down the past three episodes of SNL Season 44. But of course, I am not alone. I am joined by my fellow invest brother Mario
1: Lanza, Mario Hario. Oh, so uh, I'm so excited to be here. It's good to keep it in the family. Thank you, Mike.
0: Absolutely. No, the grandma and the sister are not here to get in on the action, uh, even though grandma's great at providing happy endings. <laughs> uh, no, it's just the two of us here to talk through the past month of SNL. We came together at the end of October to talk about the first three episodes. And safe to say, I think we were in a pretty optimistic spot about season 44. While it got off to a bit of a, you know, rusty start by the Seth Meyers episode, we felt that they were able to shake some stuff off and really start to, to build some momentum We're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. These are three very, very interesting episodes of SNL, to say the least. But before we get into some more individual micro stuff, looking at things from a macro level, Mario, talk me through your mood that, you know, transpired over the course of these three episodes week to week to week.
1: Okay, this is where you're going to insert the uh, sound effect of the plane, the, the the motor stalling, and it crashes down to Earth, right?
0: Yeah, or uh, Liam Schreiber just talking on the on the intercom, but not talking about the turbulence whatsoever.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Um. Here's the macro view. After three episodes, I believe I said if I were an SNL fan, I'd be very excited about the direction of the show. I think it's provided a lot of hope, a lot of optimism over the rest of the season. After episodes four, five, and six, I would probably say just the opposite, that I am a little sour. Now, not that I think it's like the worst show on TV, but I, pretty much every point I brought up after three that I thought it was trending in the right direction, I would say it's maybe flipped and is going in the opposite direction now. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to hear your reaction to that, because I will just say before we get into specifics, I didn't like the Jonah Hill episode at all. I really liked the Leave Schreiber episode, and I was so shocked by that, how good it was. And then the Steve Carell episode was just one of the most lifeless things I've seen on SNL in quite some time, and it really kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. So I'm curious how you would say, because that's where I stand right now, that I am a little more pessimistic over where SNL is going right now
0: from what it sounds like, from what I'm discerning, it sounds like you are a bit of like, what have you done for me lately in terms of, you know, if you're doing a stretch of three episodes, the last one is going to be the biggest indicator <laughs> as to like how the trend is. Because you said, you know, Seth Meyers was great. We're trending well. Steve Carell, not so great.
1: We are trending downwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, that's one way to put it. For me, it seems like almost like the Leave Schreiber episode. They got lucky. And that's what I mean by a trend like it was a great episode but it, like it doesn't fit the pattern of the other ones. It's more the pattern that I tend to look at. And it's very it's very uneven and the things that I think the show isn't doing well, I find them doing repeatedly not well and that's the biggest point I wanted to bring up.
0: So, going through each of these three episodes, I would say I am higher on the Jonah Hill episode than you are. I know you're not the biggest fan of him uh, as a host in general, specifically as a five-timer. And so I would understand, like, if you're not into Jonah Hill as an SNL host, you probably uh, would not have liked this episode. But for what it's worth, I enjoy his, you know, laconic, giggly persona and his, his commitment to some ridiculous bits. And there is some... Really fun stuff in that first episode that, that we'll get into. Totally on board with you on the Lee of Schreiber episode. Uh, this was by far my favorite episode of the season. It had one of the strongest back halves to an episode I can remember in the past, like, a few years or so and, and they were all really out there concepts but they they kept hitting these weird crazy pitches you know no matter what was coming over the plate so it made me really excited and like you said maybe part of that came from the lowered expectations uh you know Leah schreiber sort of filled the role that we get sometimes of oh serious dramatic actor we don't think that they can do comedy oh wait they're actually pretty damn good at this and i'm sure we'll get into more specifics as to his performances later on And then we came to a bit of a you know downward slope with the Steve Carell episode. This is just a an interesting one, and you know you can say sometimes with the uh, strings of three they put out with SNL shows sometimes how by the third week you can sort of feel the the dregs that the writers are now on their third week of no sleep Mm -hmm. trying to pump out material. Considering that we were when we got to our umpteenth sketch of either Steve Carell as a beleaguered father or Steve (laughs) Carell singing, we're saying okay, this is a Interesting that we're going to these repeating patterns for you know a, a third time host and also one of the biggest comedic voices out there in the two thousands. It is super strange to me. uh So I mean, if uh, going back to you know the the random rankings that I do right now, I have Liev Schreiber number one. I have Seth Myers number two. I have Jonah Hill rounding out the top half at number three, and then the bottom three are Adam Driver. I squeaked Steve Carell in above Aquafina just because there were a couple things in Steve Carell that I enjoyed a smidge more than Aquafina. Those, those are, you know, uh, really a race to the bottom at that point. So the season's still kind of young, but we're already starting to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff. I want to go back to Steve Carell for a second because, Mario, I just found this astounding. that You know, again, this is a guy who is such a beloved comedian. He made his start on a, the Dana Carvey show, on a sketch comedy show, mm-hmm. coming from the Second City now that we've seen this co- happen three times, what do you think it is about SNL and Steve Carell that don't necessarily, you know, gel as well together as one might assume?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question. That's something I've been thinking about pretty much nonstop since that episode aired. Like, what are we going to say about this episode? Because I am, as many people are, a huge fan of The Office. I think The Office is one of the nearly flawless shows that ever existed up until maybe and the last season. That's why seasons. we should bring it back. <laughs> yeah, but... But Steve Carell's SNL episodes are not good, and I don't think he's ever had a good episode. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on some of the some of the aspects of the first two, but I don't remember them historically being especially strong episodes. So the natural conclusion you can draw is that well, he maybe he's just not good at SNL, and that's something I have kind of been saying on Twitter. Like I'm kind of wondering if maybe he just isn't that good at this kind of stuff. Like maybe The Office was all editing and writing and all that. And my wife is a huge Steve Carell fan, and she very much does not like me bringing up that argument. She's like, no, he was great on The Office. He's great in almost everything he does. She's just like, SNL just doesn't mesh with him well. Like They don't know what to do with him. And my wife in particular is not a fan of this season and this era's writing. And she's like, nobody could have made those sketches work. It wasn't Steve Carell's fault. They were all just weak premises. And he's like the straight man or the dad or just – it's like they're not – they don't really mesh with Steve Carell as a comedian, which I'm kind of maybe – going in that direction, because it's hard to compare, you know, three different Steve Carell shows over the years, because it was different cast, different writers, different types of comedy, different styles. So it's possible he just gets unlucky, and maybe it just doesn't work that well. And and <laughs> I'm going to give the hottest of hot takes of all. This is where we get in trouble when I start doing this stuff. But to be honest, I'd rather see Nancy Walls host an episode at this point.
0: Ooh, well, we did get a cameo from her uh, with that awkwardly timed uh, her and the kids up in the, you know, the balcony. But that was that was also a nice little like. Us hardcore SNL nerds were like, hey, Nancy Walls, remember when? Let's
1: bring you back. <laughs> I, I loved her on the show. I'm still, to this day, pissed that they cut her because they only needed, back then they only wanted three females on the show. So they replaced her with basically became on a gas tire. But it's like, I love Nancy Walls. I, I would like to see her host. And I'm really only half kidding when I say that. I, I'd, I'd rather see her host an episode. I've been burned three times by Steve Carell on the show, whether it's his fault or not. But I just, I've kind of lost faith that his episodes are going to be strong because they just aren't.
0: Yeah, to go back to your question as to, like, what might we remember from the past two Steve Carell instances, a few of them stick out to me, but it's nothing like, these are my selective memories as opposed to collective memories. I remember, for some reason, that Steve Carell hosted the very first SNL episode in HD, and that was, like, a big deal. Uh, And I also remember that, I think that was the one where Kanye West was the musical guest we actually talked about this on the preseason show uh we did with the guys from the main feed of saturday night live after party of how uh you know mike meyer showed up and they did that uh you know the actually awkward moment between uh, they recreated the george bush doesn't care about black people moment mm-hmm. uh, so i remember that and the other one that i remember from his 2008 hosting was the digital short they did where they did the Japanese origin of The Office, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm sure you remember as a a big Office fan, which is basically (laughs) just them doing scenes from The Office, but, like, speaking Japanese.
1: Yeah, and it's funny, I just watched that sketch again recently a couple of weeks ago, and I was... I remembered it fondly. I remember, this is really funny. This is one of the better digital shorts of that era. And I watched it again, and it was pretty good. But I I find myself thinking, it could have been a little better. It actually kind of dragged towards the end when they did the the calisthenics and stuff. So like even then, some of the stuff that Steve Carell was good in didn't quite rise to the level maybe that it could have. So maybe he's just snake bit when it comes to SNL. Maybe that's the simple answer here.
0: Well, I want to sort of... uh take a view outwards from the s the steve carell episode and we'll certainly get into some stuff both good and bad from that episode but you know you were talking about snl's trends at least in the past few episodes something that i really noticed is snl season 44 i don't know what it is they have really got their hooks into the absurd <laughs> uh, and i yeah. feel like these past three episodes have really showcased that and it's showcased how it's really a double-edged sword In both, you know, the ways it can be done really well and the ways it can be done really poorly. I have, you know, an example from each of the sketches that we can sort of go into. But before we get into that, uh, what's sort of your history of thought when it comes to, you know, the idea of absurdism on SNL? Because it's not exactly Alien or Nouveau. Have you generally enjoyed those types of sketches on the show?
1: Oh, yeah. My my bread and butter is kind of the absurd humor and the one-offs. I like stuff that's a one-off, that's too weird to be a recurring character, and it's not mainstream humor. And I'll just give an example of here. One of them that in this stretch of episodes that was really like a uh, cerebral and specific to a certain audience and certain types of jokes, and the audience was not in on this sketch at all. They did not laugh that much, but I loved it. it was the podcast towards the potties?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely playing into our territory, and definitely <laughs> the territory of the people that are listening. But yeah, it's a good point that it does seem a little niche and definitely it's it's one of those things that's like doesn't produce laugh lines but it's more like you think and you laugh inside your head type of lines
1: yeah, and like again, yeah. Absurd humor is my favorite types of uh, SNL sketches. My favorite eras of the of the of the show have always been when they move away from the recurring characters and like the the actor based stuff, and it's more the writers, the cerebral sketches. So that's always my type of bread and butter, and that's why it all it almost pains me a little that I didn't like these last three episodes because, as you pointed out, and as many people have pointed out on Twitter. They're just going off the rails with absurd stuff now, and like some of them are hitting, some of them aren't hitting. I'd argue more are not hitting than are hitting. But in theory, I should absolutely respect that because it's a, it's a pattern that I love when SNL goes in that direction. It's it, it's kind of odd. Like I, as we talk about this more, I'm curious what my thoughts are going to be because you know coming into this podcast, I'm thinking I didn't really love these three episodes so much, other than the Liev Schreiber one. But so many people have kind of. You know, comment on my tweets, they're saying, "Well, you know, you should give them a little credit." They're going so absurd. Some of these are just weird ideas. So i am kind of rethinking that a little bit. And as we talk this out, I think maybe I will open my mind to it a little more because I think I'm about to make the argument you're about to make that I th- I, it's actually kind of a cool trend that they're doing and what they're doing with these sketches now.
0: Completely agree. I have always been of the stance of how I'm not the biggest fan of recurring characters, and maybe that's just because I come from instead of a sketch background, I come from an improv background where. We don't tend to create recurring characters. It mm-hmm. comes off as a, uh, you know, not exactly uh, that artistic or creative to do. So I'm always game for trying something new, and especially since you know f- five years ago at this point we were just coming off of an era where you have. Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader and Jason Sudeikis doing all of these recurring characters almost every episode. Uh, And it almost feels like you're walking on crutches that when you take the crutches off, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of hobbling, but then you're going to be able to actually run further and faster, Mm -hmm. you know, as a result. So I totally have an appreciation for what they're doing right now, because I think they're putting trust in their audience. I do think maybe some of the reasons why they t- they pump out recurring characters is because they say, like, well, the, yeah, the, they'll they'll like this. Uh, whereas I feel like sometimes when they're putting out really crazy ideas, you know, things like the John Mulaney episode when they did the lobster diner sketch, that's a great indicator where umpteenth years ago they said, no, this is something the audience doesn't necessarily want, we're going to p- shelve this. They finally bring it back, and it's like rapturous ovation from it. (laughs) And I I don't know if that's the changing, you know, pop culture zeitgeist, or just maybe a misjudgment of the audience. Uh, So I've been really enjoying the 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 attempts that they're making of it. Like you said, there's been some misses, but you know what? I'd rather have you know this kind of type of stuff to talk about because it's going to be for me inherently more interesting than talking about. Okay, let's talk about the you know sixth time we've seen the alien encounter sketch.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because that's just exactly what I was going to talk about that to back up what Mike is saying and what I'm lesser saying is that that Lev Schreiber one of the one of the reasons that was so strong is cuz it was all original concepts and first time stuff. But if you'll notice you have the alien abduction sketch right there in the middle and I'll be honest, that sketch really dragged the third time around, and it really kind of sucked the energy out of that episode, in my opinion. So it was weird seeing all these unique first-time things, and then one, they had to try, try to do a recurring one in there, and the recurring one really stood out as the one that didn't belong in that show.
0: Well, let's let's start getting into some of these more absurd characters, and I want to start with one from the Jonah Hill episode. Super polarizing i want to talk about teacher fell down
1: <laughs> oh i'm glad we're starting with that one
0: <laughs> yeah exactly let's start with something that will start the most conversation mario give me your thoughts <laughs> on the kate mckinnon powerhouse performance that is teacher fell down
1: okay well yeah clearly this is one of the most polarizing sketches in recent memory on snl i guess until the uh the eye Patch guy showed up that would be the other polarizing <laughs> thing but yeah um The first time I watched Teacher Fell Down, I'm like, what is this crap? Like, I did not get that sketch at all. It seemed to me just it was a very gratuitous, let's put Kate out there and just let her do her shtick, and everyone just reacts to her. And there's this mindset on the internet among a lot of people that Kate McKinnon can do no wrong. And so it was – I don't especially agree with that mindset, especially these days. I kind of am getting tired of her. But that seemed – when I first saw that sketch – It just seemed like we're going to give Kate a showcase and just let her go. And it didn't really fit anything I've ever seen on SNL before. It was so different. I don't think it hit at all. I think it was about three, four minutes too long. It just kept going and going and going. And I tweeted at the time, I'm like, this is honestly one of the worst sketches I've seen on SNL. And I'm like, not joking. I I don't get anything behind this sketch. And I will say at the time, like my mindset has changed a little on this one because I've been reading some other criticism. And I've read some other people say, oh, that was one of the funniest sketches I've ever seen on SNL, which, okay, clearly there's going to be a middle ground between me saying it's like one of the worst things I've ever seen and other people saying it's one of the greatest things. So what am I missing or what are other people missing? And so I view that sketch now, and I don't know if this is right or not. I don't, I don't follow who writes these sketches. I don't know the backstory of all these sketches. But it seems to me it was probably like Main Justice a couple of years ago with Jason Sudeikis and for people who don't know, that was like a uh, that was like a dream of a lifetime. Jason Sudeikis wanted to get that sketch. That was one of his favorites. He wrote it, it was his baby, and he tried to get it on the air for years and years. And like when it finally came on, it was a hit. And whether it was a hit or not, if you know the backstory, you know, that was his lifetime achievement to finally get his baby on the air. And I'm guessing, I am guessing that Teacher Fell Down is something along those lines that someone's been trying to sell the sketch for a long time. And so I To this day, I still don't like that sketch. It doesn't work for me at all in not one bit of it whatsoever. But I can respect the dream and the passion behind it that somebody fought for that sketch to go on the air. And I think that was someone's baby. So I will no longer say it's the worst sketch I've seen in a long time. I just say I don't get it. I It still seems too long. I've watched it again this afternoon. I'm like, man, this thing just drags. But I think that was someone's passion, and I will never argue against someone's passion. So if someone fought for that sketch, if you absolutely love that sketch, then more power to you. I hope they do more like that for you again. But that one just was not for me at all.
0: Uh, So I do not want to be the, uh, you know, embattled students to your teacher on the ground, Mario. But I will uh, poke a hole in your narrative just a bit because I did read up on this. And the person who wrote Teacher Fell Down was new writer Allison Gates. (laughs) <laughs> who uh, She actually was one of the people who was in the audience during the Steve Carell monologue, uh, okay. the, on- the only non-office. Uh, so it unfortunately was not, you know, Kate McKinnon or, or a veteran writer trying to finally put this out. This actually was uh, somebody deciding to push uh, a new writer to the forefront to try something out. So I'm grateful for that, at least.
1: Well, okay, you ruined my theory, so now I hate it again. So <laughs> screw you, Mike Bloom, for for chewing up all my kern here. <laughs> but I still think that was probably something she had been working on, or that kind of humor that she had been selling or pushing somewhere in the past. Like no one jumps out right with that sketch because it doesn't fit in with anything that SNL has ever done. So it's just, it's just there's a certain mindset in that in that sketch that I I have to appreciate because they were going for something so different.
0: Yeah. So I really really like this sketch and it might be my own personal proclivities i did treat this out that i think one of the other reasons why i enjoyed the jonah hill episode more than most is because there was a lot of like theatricality going on between you know the divided we stand uh commercial between jonah hill singing joseph and the amazing tentacolor dream coat and now this and i'm someone who comes from theater so it's something that i'm going to always naturally gravitate towards and kate does a great job with it but watching this back I feel like the writing is actually really fun. Uh, you know, just but you are just like the, the poetry that comes out, you know, teachers on the ground like a silly little girl. Well, I'm not a girl and I didn't fall. Uh, you know, talking about uh she's, everyone's laughing away like it's some episode of friend. It there's and then you know, it builds I will agree that I think it language is a bit it does build a little bit where, you know, when she ends up falling three inches more and there's a big pause and then just goes into teacher fell more, which I guess is the other stanza of this poem. Uh, and you know, her saying, uh, they always said I was too frail, said I wouldn't live past three and I wish I had it. Like it's echoes to me of Abraham Parnassus, which makes sense given it's the, uh, it's the same classroom. I don't, I, I don't know why this, uh, classroom just brings about the most dramatic people. So I can understand if you're not really into, you know the the way it was done specifically at the time it was done as well this was like the third live sketch of the night when this would almost most definitely be a 10 to 1 any other night i can understand but i feel like the coupling for me of kate mckinnon's performance with uh you know just the the insanity of the writing that came out of this with the overblown language that essentially turned into a four minute monologue with occasional comments from the peanut gallery it was something that i really enjoyed personally
1: Yeah. Well, I will say my wife is, again, she's not thrilled with this era. And she she watched that with me today. She's like, it's the same as they do in every episode. Something weird happens and then everyone just comments on it. And so I might have appreciated that more if it was maybe just Kate, because it again, it follows the pattern of almost every sketch. If Something weird happens and everyone has a little rotating peanut, like you said, peanut gallery. So maybe I would have liked that one more. I don't I don't know. It's Mm. it's possible this one might grow on me over the years. I don't think so. But I can respect your opinion. I can respect the other people's opinion. And again, I'd, I'd rather see something like that than another alien abduction, to be honest, because at least this is different.
0: Yeah, so nobody take a whiz on teacher. Nobody spit in her hair, please. <laughs> uh, let, let's move on to something that I think we're both on the same page with. And it's interesting that we sort of talked about the requisite straight man in the form of those students in this sketch, because I think one of the reasons why this one really, really worked is because there wasn't one there. And of course, I am talking about the House Hunter sketch from the <laughs> Lee of Schreiber episode, which by and large was the highlight for me of not only the episode, but probably my favorite sketch, even edging out Abraham Parnassus of the first six episodes, personally.
1: Yeah, no, that was a strong one. I That was one I was not expecting. And it was funny because if I remember, that one just kind of fades in. You don't realize that's even an SNL sketch at first. And it it's it's so small and unassuming and it's not one of the big overblown musical numbers that they've been doing on the show that that house hunter one just kind of caught me off guard and i'm like vertical floors where did those come from and then it's funny out of all the overblown over the top things in that sketch the one that always jumped out at me was the scene with the oh we have lots of towel racks and there's like 30 towel racks in the bathroom (laughs) i'm like where does this sketch come from and yeah that i love that that is one of my favorites of the season that might not even be my favorite of that episode i like the one with the two brothers kyle and uh, Beck, fighting yeah
0: yeah we'll, we'll we'll definitely talk about that later on because i that is like that i think that, that came right after this one so it's like the one-two punch it was incredible yeah but yeah this this house hunters one it was such an interesting like i wouldn't even call it an escalation it's like an mc escher painting yeah. where like the stairs are leading everywhere because they come right off the bat with like Yes, they sort of set up the budget and everything, but they come right in with, oh yeah, this first one just has drawings of windows. And you're like, okay, <laughs> this is a little weird. Where are they going to go from there? Then they bring in the the imagery of the vertical floor. I think for me, as much as I was enjoying the idea of this sketch, I wasn't really into it until the Hidden Valley Ranch packet. <laughs> so I think it's just a, such a great build on the pattern of like, okay, we the first one's the ranch, then we have the split level ranch, and then it just goes to like... When you're jumping from A to C, like what comes next? The Hidden Valley Ranch packet, which happens to be next door to the salad. And then you come, go right there to the invisible house with the cat on the roof. And it's just this idea of Leah Schreiber and Leslie Jones bumping into things uh, in the middle of Central Park. And then I don't know, I feel like it reaches its peak with the abandoned split level filled with Australian vampires. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I've watched that one a couple of times and there's jokes in there that you don't even remember. Like, even though the little throwaway jokes right at the start, like we have a $400,000 budget. Oh, this one's five cents over budget. We have to cross that. One. <laughs> just just little throwaway jokes like that. And there's one where the audience laughs over Lee Schreiber when he's talking about all the services and restaurants are thousand miles up straight in the air. So we have to buy a car. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just, again, you remember the big jokes, but that one's really going to hold up well because of how subtle it is and how even the throwaway jokes are funny. Yeah, I I have nothing bad to say about that. It was fantastic. And again, I'm not sure which one of the hosts would have worked for that better than Leah Shriver. Like he he was a straight man. He plays that completely straight, but he actually has some funny lines. But like Steve Carell might have been maybe trying to be funnier. And uh, like Adam Driver might have been trying to be funny. I don't know, but it just worked with him. In fact, the only weak part I can think about that sketch is I'm picturing it in my head. There's a scene where Leslie Jones, right after they finish making their decision, she kind of looks away and she opens her eyes like these big, exaggerated eyes. And I don't really think that deserved that. deserved that fits in the sketch. And that's the thing where someone funny actually kind of ruins that, where the straight man actually sells that.
0: See, I would disagree, because I think if you watch enough of those shows, like, I think she was trying to do an exaggerated impression of, like, it's the very stage shot of the two of them drinking white wine with some sort of piece of cake in front Mm -hmm. of them, and I think she was trying to sort of build on that, though I can see how that sort of stuck out, but then it just escalates from there. I love the fact that they nixed the first one because it was five cents over budget, but they end up going for nine billion dollars on this (laughs) on this house that they eventually go with there's this fantastic throwaway thing where they say oh we've got plenty of room to entertain friends and they're talking with like two five-year-olds <laughs> there's a shot of one of them just housing a glass of red wine there's just so many fun details i wouldn't even talk about the cutaways to heidi uh this mysterious sister who's wearing this like catholic schoolgirl outfit and just running <laughs> around this yard like it, this is pure insanity i loved every second of it
1: yeah she's like ruprecht she's ruprecht the monkey boy from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly exactly and then there's this really fun note at the end where like you know they've been talking about the man cave like if you can't get the man cave it's like i'll just keep the man in the basement and you know you cut to pete initially you think like it's fine it's it's pete you know he's sort of being slothy and then at the end it turns out that oh no he says you know uh can you let me out and then it's just this shot again if we're talking about Leah schreiber's just fantastic qualities as a host where he is closing the door and he just lingers and stares at pete as the door slowly (laughs) closes it's so creepy but it's so so well done and just a great microcosm of his overall like straight laced face to absolutely absurd qualities
1: yeah no that's i think you nailed it that that was i'm even laughing just picturing that sketch in my head and replaying it so that's how well that one's gonna age and that yeah that might be the strongest sketch of the season i think you make a good case for that
0: well, let's move over to the other side of the spectrum. I want to fi- finish this sort of uh, deep dive into absurdity on SNL season 44 with the very last sketch we saw on this season so far. Let's go to this distant planet. <laughs> let's talk about the Kern here. There were so many things. In fact, I'm sure Vulture will come out with an oral history soon about what went wrong with this sketch. But Mario, what were your thoughts as you watched this catastrophe Unfold a couple weeks ago.
1: Well, okay. The, the big picture is I was so not enthused by that Steve Carell episode that that one actually didn't really register with me as being that weird or bad because I was You're just like, We're so out. dulled. <laughs> yeah. So I had to watch it again. And I know there's the East Coast version and the West Coast, and apparently they fixed it in the second version, right?
0: Relatively. So yeah, the, the big mistake that happened was that I guess the, the sketch didn't have an ending or that from what I had heard in dress rehearsal, The ending, so for those of you that don't remember, this is, uh, you have Steve Carell, you have uh, Beck, you have Leslie, you have Cecily as these astronauts. They landed to have Thanksgiving dinner on this planet. Keenan and Melissa play these aliens who bring over their version of corn called Kern, but Kern is, uh, I guess it's anthropomorphic (laughs) or it's sentient and it's played by Pete. Every time someone takes a bite, they awkwardly cut back to Pete, who is dyed purple and screaming in a high-pitched voice. Allegedly in dress rehearsal, the ending was supposed to be that Steve Carell would like, you know, basically uh, at gunpoint force Melissa and Keenan out to save the Kern. One might connect this back to in the first 30 seconds, if you notice it, watching it back, Beck Bennett drops a laser gun prop and it causes people to laugh. And so there's a chance they might not have got that uh, in time to make that plot point happen. So in typical theater fashion, they improvise. And they say, OK, well, we're all going to eat the Kern. And then they cut back to Pete because he starts talking. But they didn't add the green screen effect in because they're, they didn't expect it. And so it's just Pete's face sideways on a black background. <laughs>
1: Okay, I just watched it right before this podcast. You are correct. So yeah, they, they're all set up for the sketch. And then Keenan and Melissa walk in and you can hear the gun fall or you can see it falls off of Beck's lap. And you can see Keenan laugh and you can hear a couple other people laugh. And yeah, like you said, it really screws up the ending of the sketch because I think they were supposed to have a gunfight and... I was watching very carefully for exactly how the end of the sketch, at least on the East Coast version. Again, for anybody who's listening to this and looking for the sketch online, though, they've probably already fixed it. So you might not see this version anymore. They may have already replaced it. But yeah, at the end of the sketch, they don't have a gun for Steve Corral to point. So I was watching very carefully what exactly happens. And it's actually Keenan and Cecily across the table from each other. Keenan says, he holds up his hand. He's like, bye bye. And she goes, bye-bye. like Okay, we're going to improvise. We're just, we're just leaving. And so then, so then Steve says, we'll just eat the kern, which was not their plan. And so now everyone's laughing because there's two different endings going on. And I think that whoever's running the sketch, the producers, just put the applause sign on and they pull out as soon as possible. But if you do see the East Coast version, watch for Keenan and Cecily trying to talk to each other across the table about what they're going to do.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, Steve Carell brings everyone together and says, Okay, guys, I have a plan. And this plan is to do nothing! Like, it makes absolutely no sense. It's like they cut it off and just completely spliced in a new ending to the sketch. It is one of the biggest hot messes of a sketch I've seen on quite some time on SNL. But it's just an example of how, like, uh, I, I don't think even if the sketch had worked, you know, this was so far out there with everything that you know it just it's uh again the, the other side of that sword that for every house hunters you could have a current sketch where uh things just completely go wrong from a writing acting and prop based perspective
1: yeah yeah that's the big question there do you think that sketch would have worked had they pulled it off i don't personally think they do i think it was too i don't even know what the right word is i can't say too weird because weird stuff lies all the time on snl it was just it wasn't a premise that was going to be successfully pulled off. That's, that's all I can say. It just, I, mean, I appreciate it. And they were doing lots of wordplay and like, you know, the Jenny Slate Memorial Award of <laughs> throwing words at people that might throw them off a little if they accidentally say it wrong. But, uh, yeah, they were, they were doing their best and they, it just, but it just wasn't a strong concept to begin with. But again, I'd rather see that than like freaking Gilly or something. So at least it was new.
0: Well, I'm glad that they cut the sketch off before the FCC got involved and got someone <laughs> fired. I want to segue a bit and talk about something else that recurred across the these three episodes. Let's talk a bit about the cold opens at large, because mm-hmm. there's a very large uh, pattern going on across these three cold opens. Alec Baldwin, nary a sight. From him now, uh, I think it might be due to his uh, legal troubles that occurred shortly before the Jonah Hill episode. But you know, we get two instances of the Ingram angle, and we get the middle installment of uh, Jeff Sessions' last day in the White House. Do you have any overall thoughts about these Trumpless cold opens?
1: Yeah, they're, I Again, I'm. I, I'm never going to be the biggest fan of the political stuff on SNL, but if they're going to do it, I think this is a fairly good way to go. They just have the Ingram angle out there, and they do Kate, and and they've had a, a good uh, excuse to have Kate and Cecily kind of playing off each other, which is always good. Again, I don't. They're not my favorite, but they're not my least favorite. I don't. They certainly weren't the weakest parts of these episodes. Um, Although I will say I wasn't too fond of the Jeff Sessions one. That one just seemed especially mean. And I don't – to this day, don't know why they still keep throwing uh, Robert De Niro on live TV because it's the worst possible idea. But it's it's four words. (laughs) How do you screw up four words? It's only opened every show since the (laughs) mid-70s. But yeah, it's again, I don't have a lot of thoughts. What did you think? Like, I don't like this as much as we had the uh, the one with the Republicans in the locker room all dancing and singing after the Kavanaugh decision. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, these are I didn't think they were good or bad. They were they were solid ways to open the show, I guess, if you have to do that.
0: Yeah, they weren't as out of the box as that one, which I, I still am very high on. I, I again, I'm I'm happy. I'm going to be happy just like you're happy. Anytime we don't get a recurring sketch, I'm going to be happy anytime a cold open doesn't feature Here's Donald Trump. Let him just sort of talk about what happened this past week. At least going through the Ingram angle comes at it through a different perspective, you know, where it's not just Trump repeating things verbatim. They're able to sort of poke fun at Fox News and 24 uh, hour cable news networks. Do I feel like we needed two instances in three episodes? Maybe not. And I definitely feel like the first one uh, was much better than the second one. I don't know if they expected to go back to the second one so quickly. Maybe they just didn't have. Something to to do for the Steve Carell episode, and so they decided to you know slap that wig back on Kate. But the first episode was a lot of fun because you have things like you know uh, you have uh, Cecily appearing as the judge with this you know very uh, over the top passionate bitter face. Her talking about how the caravan includes the Guatemalans, the Mexicans, ISIS, the Menendez brothers, the 1990 <laughs> Detroit Pistons, Thanos, and several Babadukes. Uh, you love the use of the stock footage. Of them just Black Friday and uh,
1: World War Z. <laughs> I noticed in the third one when they had Marsha Fudge in there and she starts doing old jokes about Nancy Pelosi. That was like the exact same shtick Jonah Hill was doing at Benny Hanna, the old jokes about his nanny. Yeah. I think they just repeated some of the same they just took the ones they didn't use for one sketch they used for the other. So it's I just noticed that, hey, that's the same shtick as last episode.
0: Yeah, that's actually very true. Maybe they just decided to uh, repurpose uh, Adam Grossman to to Marsha Fudge. So, and I will say that Jeff Sessions one, I agree that I don't think he was this strongest take, just because they didn't really know what to do with him. Uh, they made him sort of like hick slash possum man slash you know racist. Uh, so you know, at least they sort of gave a, a farewell to them. I do feel like all these cold opens were a little too long, especially Jeff Sessions. I think it went on for like six minutes and. Yeah, I mean, because I, I can understand the the, the Mueller connection, because you could assume the reason that's why Jeff Sessions was let go. But man, I wish Kate had been there to be Robert Mueller at the same time. Because yeah, I'm, I'm not too not too keen on the De Niro as Mueller impression but i suppose that's sort of what you have to do now in snl when they keep casting these celebrities as you know famous political figures
1: yeah and in that one's defense that one did feature the trump brothers who i thought were very strong as always so i thought that was the weakest of the three cold openings but it also had the two best characters that they have the Trumps. so i guess that's the you take the good with the bad just like the facts of life here
0: <laughs> well uh, let's talk about one of the other installments uh stalwart installments of snl and let's talk about weekend update and i feel like all three weekend updates were all pretty strong. They still serve to be probably one of the most solid elements of each and every episode. I will say, for some reason, the Jonah Hill one really sticks out to me as, like, one of the the bigger ones, up a couple of key Che Rants in there. But I want to talk about the newer characters that we've seen the ones that you know really made an impression and the two i want to speak about are melissa mm-hmm. as every teen girl murder suspect on law and order and also cecily's appearance in the lee of schreiber episode as the uh poor white house intern who has to interrupt colin and try to take his microphone so why don't you talk to me about your thoughts on both of those appearances
1: okay yeah the uh the melissa one that was one that generated a lot of attention at the time i remember to give a little backstory on that, they've been doing that. The girl who acts or every X, they've been doing that for quite some time. That's not really a new phenomenon. People like to say it started with Cecily doing, you know, the every girl who at a party you don't want to talk to. But I, I know Vanessa Bayer was doing stuff like that. Every woman in a rom com. So they've been doing this archetype for a while, and this is just kind of the latest example of it. I remember when Melissa, when it first came on the air, a lot of people on Twitter especially were like, you know, this is a star-making performance. This is Melissa's big coming out as the big star on SNL. I don't know if that was necessarily my take on it. I thought it was it was fine. It was strong. I I found myself watching that thinking, man, I really wish Heidi would have done this because <laughs> Heidi would have done something spectacular with it. I hate to, I hate to compare people, but that's not really Melissa's stick. Melissa's kind of moving into this era where other people have been doing this stuff. Um I don't know. It's not something that I thought was especially amazing, but it was good. I'm always happy when she gets to do something on the show and it comes off well, just because I know she struggles at some other things. So that was good. Um, the thing with, what was the other one? Cecily with the microphone? hmm Yeah, that one I thought was pretty strong, but I hope it's a one-time thing. And again, it was so simple and specific but cecily is just really good at you know character work like a lot of the other people on the show so just give her one quirky little almost mute character she's not saying a lot of lines she's just doing body language and i i thought that was especially fun but i don't think either one of those was anything like we need to see again they were fine for a one-time thing how about you
0: yeah and the thing i like about cecily's in particular is i always like when weekend update breaks their conventions uh you know i'm glad that cecily wasn't a feature on weekend update that she's sort of you know, it was as much like when we first saw Riblet, where like it just came out of nowhere. And it reminds me a bit of this is completely random. But I remember early on in season 42, I want to say, th- remember how there was that infamous photo of, you know, uh, a White House meeting in the Trump administration and Kellyanne Conway was like kneeling on the floor with no shoes on. They did this. They did something really fun. I think it was maybe in the uh, oh God, I can't remember what episode it was, but uh, throughout the episode, Kate McKinnon was dressed up as Kellyanne Conway and she would be kneeling on her phone in a recreation of that shot. And it would just appear in the bumpers. It would appear as they cut to set during interstitials. So, like, it's one of those things that's, like, very unspoken, but it breaks the barriers of what makes a conventional SNL episode that really makes it feel like it's live and kinetic. And I really enjoyed that here. You know, I, I liked that Cecily appeared... I didn't expect her to appear again, and I I liked even her return appearance because of the doctored video, which, yeah. in true, like, Daryl's house fashion, had uh, Cullen Jones uh, punching her with, like, a random gif of a fist, and then, again, more stock footage of a girl falling off a cliff and a kid landing face-first into a snowman. So I thought that really <laughs> worked. I agreed. I mean, I don't think we, we really need to see it again. If there's another instance where this type of thing happens, it would make sense. Uh, every teen girl murder suspect on Law & Order, I thought it was really... Well performed. Uh it did get a bit repetitive uh to me, but by far the best line of it was uh, you know when she starts having her breakdown and says, you know, uh they dared to, they dare me to stab her, but it was just a joke. But Logan took it the wrong way and started bleeding. Uh and you know, her talking about we went to big alcohol pa- party at Carrie's boyfriend's house. Like when they went into more of those generalities, I really enjoyed that. Otherwise, I think Melissa put on a good performance, and Michael Che had a nice little punctual moment with the, the toothpick in its mouth, but, I mean, I, it, was a, it was a good highlight for her. I don't know if it was exactly knocking it out of the park like you might compare it to some of Heidi's first appearances, but this is at least something, you know, a nice notch on her belt.
1: No, I totally agree. It's a, uh, just one more thing that she was able to say that she did, so it was, yeah, it was, a good, it was a good showcase for Melissa. I don't know if it was necessarily the greatest showcase for SNL, but for her, it was strong.
0: Another thing that I want to talk about is uh, something that I actually linked to you before we recorded, Mario. There's an article from The Atlantic that came out this past week. It's entitled, SNL's new rap parodies tell the same old joke. Mm. And this is this is talking about, uh, we have seen a lot since, uh, you know, Comeback Barack won the Emmy. We've seen a lot this season of Chris Redd, Pete Davidson collaborations with these hardcore rap songs that talk about a variety of not hardcore rap subjects uh they did one about trees they did one about uh permission slash consent they did uh they did one about this past week about uh ruth bader ginsburg and this article posits that they feel that it sort of has worn its way out that the lonely island sort of uh, helped you know they helped bring that about and while they can certainly do it the lonely island do a better job of writing more clever lyrics and better hooks Uh what are are your overall reactions to this article what do you think about this it seems like every episode now we are getting some sort of rap
1: song from these two do you think they work um i don't i actually didn't realize they were happening that frequently because i i tend not to think of those as the biggest highlights of the episode and i i read that article that you sent me and i actually agree with it 100 percent. like if the the shtick is that we're doing rap songs about non-rap subjects just you know banal, just like benign subjects and throw them into a rap song. We did that again, like they said, with the Lonely Island. That was their whole shtick. Like I'm on a boat. I'm a boss. Like that was the thing. Those are non-rap subjects. So if we're comparing it to the Lonely Island, and again, to reiterate, I I didn't realize they were happening that much because they're never my favorite parts of the episodes. Then, yeah, I think it's something we've uh, seen on the show before. We've seen it better, unfortunately. I didn't realize they're they're like a team, right? Pete and Chris outside SNL, they have like a, a Lonely Island type deal.
0: Yeah, they have uh something called Goonie Tunes, which I guess is like mm. I guess they do sort of rap stuff. And it seems like they have the same taste as well. And that's another thing about this, is that as compared, if you compare Goonie tunes to Lonely Island, it seems like these two do more specific references mm-hmm. to rap artists, like the the Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, rap is actually like a, a takeoff on you know uh, i guess it's called live sheck west die sheck west you have the tucci gang sketch from last year which was a parody of gucci gang mm-hmm. so unlike the lonely island which i think goes for more you know original content these guys specifically say here's a song let's sort of take that model and adapt it to whatever we want to talk about that was the other thing with the um, migos the the friendo song that they did with donald glover last season which i think was one of the, their more successful attempts it seems like they're more so about like let's directly uh you know mimic something that actually exists rather than sort of creating something from scratch
1: okay yeah there's some of them that i like more than others there's some that i i think are pretty good i like the Migos one i like that one the friendos the one this week and the one uh the ruth bader ginsburg one and then the one about permission i just don't like them as much as some of the others and this might just be old white guy talking but i i have a hard time understanding the lyrics sometimes and maybe that's because they're a little hardcore rap compared to, again, like, The Lonely Island. So maybe that's one of my problems. I, I can't always understand what the jokes are.
0: No, I mean, I, and I, I totally hop on the old white guy boat with you, but I'm in agreement. I think that some of these songs go pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And also the, the, you know, when they bring on these guest rappers, uh, it makes sense and it's awesome, but they might not have the best enunciation, uh, <laughs> which is why you see in, like, Permission, for example, when you have lyrics flash up on the screen to sort of indicate things. And I will say that, I really like, I think when it works best with things like Friendos is when they sort of go in a completely different direction. You know, Friendos really took breaks from the song to attend this mm-hmm. psychiatrist session. These other ones, you know, permission, I like the idea of it. I think Rubiter, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it's a funny idea. But for me, the lyrics that I could at least discern were not that hysterical mm-hmm. to me. And, and that was sort of where it came down for me is like, The Lonely Island will produce some really wackadoo concepts and some funny lyrics. I think that. These two guys will produce some really fun visuals and some good ideas, but the lyrics might not necessarily match up to it. I wonder if it's because if they're writing these week to week, they're not necessarily taking breaks to sort of rehash things out. But yeah, I, I am in agreement with you and this article that I think there are some good ideas of in here. But yeah, you don't realize that they've done, they've done three in the past mm-hmm. six episodes. That's saying a lot.
1: Yeah, the, the one thing that this this always bothers me is when like the actual rapper will show up in the video and the audience goes, woo, and cheers. And then you miss like the next segment of the song because everyone's wooing over it. That's one of the things I wish they would stop doing the stunt casting where they bring the actual person in the show. And so maybe if you watch these on like YouTube afterwards, maybe you'll catch the whole song. But live, you actually miss portions of it when the audience is cheering. And that's mm. kind of a problem. And again, just the other one thing I'll say is that like I, I'm not a big rapper music fan at all, at all but like i have to this day almost every lonely island song on my ipod and i'll never delete them because they're all fantastic and like they're just legitimately good catchy songs it wouldn't even cross my mind to put one of these goonie tunes songs on my ipod just because they. Had, i don't think they're as good but again it's you really shouldn't be comparing one person's work to the other but if the article is going to specifically say we've seen this on snl before and better they're right i mean i don't know how you could dispute that
0: yeah, and we've also had sort of like bridge work between the two as well. Like we had when the the group of SNL girls broke it huge with Do It In My Twin Bed and they sort of like, did other instances of that. It's so like Logan mm-hmm. Island really broke ground that people have sort of been running with the ball in different directions from that. And this is just sort of an example of that.
1: Yeah, and I still have all those girl group songs on my iPod too. Those were almost, almost all of those were fantastic. Why don't we see those again? I don't know why we stopped those because those were like the, the stars of every episode when those would pop up. And I don't even know what the last one was. It was funny, I just we they just had the uh, Thanksgiving episode on the other night and they had the uh, back home ballers. Mm -hmm. All the girls coming in for Thanksgiving. I'm like, that is fantastic. I would love if they did something like that again. That was, to this day, that's still a great song and great sketch. So yeah, it's, again, it kind of caught me off guard when you pointed out how many of these rap parodies have been going on. And maybe, maybe someone pointed out on our last SNL podcast, I'm just not familiar with the source material. If they're doing a spot on style parody of a very well-known rapper, I just don't know it. But at the same time, I just don't know if they're strong enough songs to really, you know, be the star of the episode.
0: That's an interesting point about the girl group thing. I mean, cause I'm pretty sure that like, I think 80 and Kate yeah. wrote that. Then the only missing element is Vanessa bear, basically, or Sashir Zameda. So like you would think that since there's pretty much the same cast, they would do the, they would do it again. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're gearing up for something. You could say that maybe a welcome to hell that they did during the Saoirse Ronan episode might be like the last spiritual time. They've done that.
1: I don't know. Maybe Jean died, the neighbor Jean. And Aww. then out of, out of tribute, maybe 80 stopped writing songs about her. <laughs>
0: exactly. Took the black for poor Jean. <laughs> uh so let let's let's uh get into some of these specific sketches that don't exactly yep. fit within the patterns that we were talking about, but some things that we wanted to tuck into. I want to go back to the potties. Uh, Mario, give give me your mm-hmm. thoughts on you know some specifics that you liked about that one in particular.
1: <laughs> when that first time that aired, I'm like, what the hell is this? This is weird, and it was getting no audience reaction at all. What I love about it, and it just kept going and going, and it eventually kind of won me over. Some of the stuff in there, like the obscure the award titles, like uh, best nervous white girl in a place she doesn't belong, <laughs> most unnecessary podcast, and then the most jarring transition into a sponsor. <laughs> And again, these are things that you would know if you are in the podcast world. And obviously, Mike are both in the podcast world. We both do this one. We both have other ones. So we're very familiar with these tropes that there's touching. And it really, I, I just, on a personal level, I love jarring uh, transitions into sponsors. It's one of my favorite things on a podcast because it's so awkward sometimes. So yeah, this was clearly a labor of love of people who know podcasts and know this world. But it was not a big, funny Like, it wasn't the most hilarious sketch in the world. I just found myself chuckling at some of the ideas and some of the conceits that they were going for. And I will say, specifically, I have to give a shout-out to Alf ASMR. Oh, my God. That had me (laughs) tackling. Of just having
0: Ego Nautam go, Season 2, Alf falls into a puddle. It's very messy. Like it's 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 the weirdest combination. But that was by far my favorite part of the sketch.
1: Yeah, and I will. I don't know if everyone knows ASMR. ASMR is the sound dissonance and friction. There's I forget the word, but basically there's certain sounds that will make your brain tingle. And some people have figured out you know those whispers or just low talking or low voices or male voices or female voices. And it's basically like a drug where you you listen to the right sounds. It makes your brain and scalp tingle, and it's almost like a drug and as someone who, I've dealt with anxiety for many years and stuff like that. It's been recommended ASMR is one of these things that actually calms you down. So I know that world very well. It's all these weird people whispering and making odd sounds and you're trying to basically calm your brain down by listening to them. So, but it's such a specific world. That I don't know where they tied it in with Alf of all things. So anyway, the more you know about ASMR, that that is a hilarious concept. But yeah, you could. There was like just the most minor titter from the audience at that concept because I know that's not a mainstream thing at all
0: yeah I will say a couple of other things about this sketch uh, I, I thought Cecily and Liev Schreiber both did great jobs as Sarah Koenig and Michael Barbaro uh, Cecily hasn't done her Sarah Koenig since I want to say like the winter of 2014 when I remember they did a serial parody about Santa Claus and I remember Cecily did a great job with that and Liev Schreiber he totally surprised me in just this episode how many times he could change his voice like his Michael Barbaro impression was so well done at talking about how podcasts are like delicious little whispered documentaries. Uh, I think my other favorite thing, aside from the Alf ASMR, was a 80s podcast, Blood Feud The Cocaine Graveyards of Mexico. <laughs> and then it just cuts to a p- frame picture of her with the white flower on it, indicating that she did not make it out of there alive. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Uh, I don't think I actually caught that joke. So thank you. I didn't I have to watch that one again. But yeah, that there was a lot of good stuff in that sketch, even though, again, just don't judge these sketches based on which ones get the biggest laugh from the audience. That's one I really hope that Lauren isn't going to cut when they cut this down to a 90 minute or a, an hour long episode for reruns and stuff. That's the type of sketch that's so long and specific, you worry they might cut it. But like, I love stuff like this on SNL just because it's so specific. Someone just really just wanted to talk about little podcast stuff.
0: I also know Mario. You wanted to talk about the uh, something we alluded to in our introduction—the Invest Twins, uh, the very first live sketch in the Lee Schreiber episode.
1: Yeah, that was one when I first saw it. I'm like, this is too broad. Like, it's 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 what just a one joke, and they're just going to pound the same joke. <laughs> Probably a bad uh, oh, choice no. of words. Oh there. no, they're the she-
0: lower third is now showing up on the podcast <laughs> feed <laughs> yeah. saying Mario's saying said they're going to pound it.
1: The more I watched that sketch, the more I started to appreciate it because yeah, it's one joke and yeah, it's very juvenile, but like the performances in that one were so strong and they just totally committed to it. And I know I've said before, I don't know if this is the strongest cast SNL's ever had. I don't I think there's half the cast is especially strong, half is not especially strong, but this one they had all the MVPs in there. And like Alex and Mikey were just go, going for it again, <laughs> lower third. They're just going for it again. <laughs> and then you had Heidi in there and you had Kate and you had Cecily. And I, uh, I guess the interviewer was Liev and he can, you could can take or leave him. But like the performances, that one won me over. And again, there's writer's jokes and there's performers ju- uh, writer sketches and performer sketches. That one, I think, was more of a performer's sketch because they were just absolutely selling that concept. And it was kind of like a Will Forte sketch where it's funny and it's not funny. And then it comes back to being funny again, even though it's the same thing. Thing over and over, that somehow they won me over on that one, and I even circled it in my notes as one that I really thought was a standout. And I didn't think so the first time I saw it.
0: Yeah, this is directly comparable to another mikey Day thing. So I'm assuming he wrote it. uh, I forget which episode. Maybe like Octavia Spencer a couple of years ago. It was the zoo photographer slash zoo pornographer (laughs) sketch in terms of Cecily messing up the lower third. But I'm happy that they sort of built on that. That it was now it's two guys, but now they also bring in Heidi and they bring in Kate, so they bring in new energy to it. I can understand why this was the first live sketch after the monologue, because it just had a really good energy mm-hmm. to it. And so while it might not have been the, the funniest sketch of the night, it had enough excitable energy and enough, you know, tongue in cheek innuendo to, uh, you know, survive uh, not making the post weekend update slot. <laughs> and I I thought this was just really well done. I agree. Watching it back, I think you catch a lot more of the innuendos, you know, mom and dad like to watch. We busted right away. Even little things like, uh, you know, when they're talking about the social media feed and the Denver Police Department has tweeted <laughs> that it's en route to their location. Uh, and then, you know, when you bring in Heidi and Kate, that's when things really get elevated with <laughs> Heidi taking it on the chin. Um, I'm at my happiest when the whole family comes together. And of course, leave it to grandma to give everyone a happy <laughs> ending. Like this this didn't feel like it overstayed his welcome. I thought, you know, it, it, it added, it built as people came in and that it, it didn't linger too long.
1: Yeah. And just to to keep beating the drum on Heidi Gardner, just watch that sketch again and watch her softly kissing grandma's nape of her neck the entire time grandma's talking. <laughs> <laughs> just little stuff like that. And it's funny you you had mentioned the, the, how this one brings the energy of the show right off the bat, right after the monologue. Compare this with the Steve Carell show where they have the one with the dad and the kids in the bunk beds right off the monologue, which is like absolutely kills any momentum in that show right off the bat, as opposed to the Liev Schreiber one, which has this one, which is such high energy. So let's say just a something little people might not notice when you're looking at the overall flow of the show, how important the energy is in that first sketch.
0: So I want to talk about actually the very end of that episode as well as to sort of finish off our generally positive ode towards the Leah Shriver episode. You mentioned it before, but I, don't, I want to circle back to the sibling rivalry sketch uh, that <laughs> took place between Beck and Kyle. I mean, first off, it's great to see them like doing stuff together in a live sketch. You'd have to assume that they wrote this. But damn, this and House Hunters are, were by far the two sketches I've rewatched the most from this season. There's just something so freaking funny <laughs> about this sketch and I can't figure out what it is for the life of me but I mean uh, to my point you see Cecily eighty busting up in the moment as well
1: oh yeah Cecily loses at that entire sketch and I don't know if I've ever seen her lose it that bad like right? an entire sketch she cannot maintain her composure at any point once those brothers come out and we, yeah, we watched this the other night and I have a 16 uh, year old son sometimes he comes out and watches SNL but he happened to be watching when that brother's sketch came out and he was cracking up and I don't see him crack up over stuff much. So I'm like, all right, let's rewind that and watch that one again. Maybe that one, maybe maybe that wasn't as funny as I thought it was. And we watched it again, and it was even funnier the second time. And like, I, I text my daughter at college. I'm like, hey, when you come home in a couple of weeks, I got this sketch. And like, I'm not talking about house hunters. I'm not talking about any other sketch. I'm like, I saved this sketch for you, and you come home in two weeks. Wait till you see this one. And it's the brothers. And again, I'm a cerebral guy. I'm a writer. I love writer's sketches. I love these weird, archaic ideas and sketches. That one has no like cerebral nature to it whatsoever. It's just two brothers slap fighting and being sprayed by a hose. And it's one that I shouldn't love. But like you said, there's something about that one and the energy and just everyone losing it. And it's so well done that I think this might be my favorite sketch of the season. And again, I hate to say that because I'm such a writer and that's such a performer sketch, but... Damn, that one's funny. I was watching it again today. I'm like, this one holds up so well. It's uh, crazy.
0: I mean, there's so many great details about it. First off, the fact that the brothers are both wearing those 90s uh, Looney Tunes Rastafarian shirts that were going around. <laughs> such, a, such a fantastic detail and no pants. The, the, when the hose gets brought out, I mean, Leah Schreiber, I give him all the credit. He couldn't keep it together during Alien Abduction. But despite everyone else around him losing it, he kept it completely straight faced the entire time. Uh, I do wonder if it was Beck's heavy breathing that made (laughs) Cecily laugh so much because it was so exaggerated that every time Beck got sprayed with the hose, he's like... "Uh, uh, uh." And I, for some reason, my favorite part by far was uh, them competing to do the dance, <laughs> and just them yelling, "Mr. And Mrs. Campbell, which one's the dance?" It just it just cracks me up every single time. And then this hard pivot to, "Well, you're an accident," <laughs> and then it just leads to the parents revealing to Kyle Mooney's character right there that yes, he was not a planned child.
1: <laughs> okay, a couple things you didn't mention. You got pretty much all the highlights, but Beck's haircut and his little buck teeth. Or one thing that I love, I love the fact that not only do they have the Looney Tune shirt, but it's just the shirt and the underwear. Yes. There's just a long shirt and the underwear. And then Kyle randomly gets thrown through a wall and then Beck turns and points. He broke the wall. See so yeah, that he broke the wall. <laughs> and again, the conceit. Why is there a hose in the house? <laughs> like, yeah. And then theoretically, they've been doing this all the time. The brothers always are acting up and being sprayed in the house to the point that they just have a hose sitting inside. <laughs>
0: Uh, and it's, and I do say, like, while we did get some more peanut gallery stuff here with 80, I, I felt that it was, there was enough insanity going on that it felt okay to cut back to her, specifically when, uh, Sharp Sharper's like, okay. we didn't want to tell you this, but I guess we will. And he goes, why are you telling him? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Just, and I, there's other things I've been, you know, critical on SNL and being sloppy this season. Just the things are always mistimed or like a graphic shows up wrong or like the Kern sketch. But like when Kyle hits back over the head with the plate, there's a great Foley shattering of a glass that is timed perfectly. So I just appreciate that they, they actually nailed that so well. Speaking of physicality, one more
0: sketch that I want to bring up is actually going to that Steve Carell episode. And it was by far the highlight for me. I want to talk about this NASA TV sketch Mm -hmm. because I thought this was an extremely well done piece of physical comedy and absolutely stood out during an evening that nothing else really did for, you know, for good.
1: Yeah, no, I've seen people say that was the standout of the episode. I at the time, I actually thought the Grease one was stronger, the, the beauty school dropout. But as I've watched them again today, I flip flopped. I think the NASA one is stronger the the beauty school dropout doesn't have an ending it just kind of stops and yeah I, I
0: i love the start of beauty school dropout because i think it's just a great way like they do this sometimes of like here's this thing and then someone comes out like what and just completely breaks the reality but i felt mm-hmm. like once they started there they really had nowhere else to go whereas yeah. this one took a little they had to do a little bit of exposition to get through it you see this sort of like okay floating where from uh steve carell and leslie jones mikey david mikey day is just a fantastic physical actor and you can mm-hmm. see that in the way he does the slow motion waving but Once we get to those frozen monkey puppets, it completely (laughs) just, uh, you know, goes into the stratosphere for me.
1: Oh, we're already in the stratosphere, Mike. That's true. I guess the (laughs) troposphere. Yeah. Um, No, uh, this is the kind of stuff that my wife would hate hearing. But, like, I like this sketch and I really liked it when I watched it again today. But I almost think Steve Carell is the weakest part in it. Like, I don't think he's very strong in it. I think Mikey does a great job. If you just watch Mikey's little motions, he's so fantastic. And Leslie, even Leslie does a great job. And she, you know, isn't really a trained stage actor, but she's has some great moments. But Steve, I just think is kind of there in the middle of this. He's like the straight man and all the funny stuff's happening around him. But yeah, I love the the monkeys were good. The faceless cat that oh. that was inspired. <laughs> (laughs) That was incredible. Yeah. And then, of of course, when Kate shows up and she's pounding her face against the glass, and I think she really is pounding her forehead against the glass, like she's suffering for her craft there, like Kyle going through the wall. That, yeah, I really appreciate all the stuff going in in that sketch. That will be the one I think stand out from that episode. But yeah, it's like it's like Carell was the weakest part. And you don't like to say that because he's such a, you know, renowned comedy actor. But it's like all the funny stuff was in spite of him in that one.
0: Well, I wonder, the voice he put on the character was really weird, too. Like, I am a space navigator. Like, Mm -hmm. he didn't do a relatively normal voice, and it almost seems like the character sort of held him back. When we get his, like, really, you know, the moments we love Steve Carell for, which is freaking out, when he breaks the arm off the monkey, like, those were by far the, the biggest flashy moments. And just the, again, this wasn't really a writer's sketch, but the physical stuff, I give all kudos to the prop department. Just what they were able to do to just have these monkeys float in frame, and that cat reveal was incredible. It's described to us, and it's just this great, like, five seconds of anticipation where you see the cat's backside and you turn around, and you can imagine in your mind's eye. What this looks like? You just heard that this poor cat had its entire face sucked in, and then it turns around, and then Leslie just you know puts uh, a perfect tail on that with you know damn cat ain't got no face. Uh, <laughs> I just I thought it was a, I, and I can understand again why this was the first live sketch after the monologue. I think it, it just, or no, it wasn't actually. That was the the stupid Disney World sketch. It should have been because I thought it had a great energy to it, and I think it really highlighted the physical comedy, this and sibling rivalry, just the general physicality stuff that a lot of these SNL cast members can do.
1: Yeah, that NASA sketch was the last sketch before update. There was like a bunch of stuff before that. I, I totally would have started the show with that, but that was after the uh message from Amazon. That was after the Thanksgiving song, that was after the Ruth Bader Ginsburg rap. It was after the dad like yeah, that was way later in the show.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I guess maybe maybe those others killed in dress more than this one. You know, you never know when it comes from dress <laughs> to uh to the actual live show. Mario, any more highlights or lowlights you want to talk about these three episodes from November 2018 before we look ahead to the last month of the year?
1: Okay, let me just go through the three episodes and I'll give a quick little overview. Um, I didn't like on Jonah Hill. I didn't like the Benihana. I've never really liked that sketch. Other people I'm sure do, so whatever. Come on, Mario, wine, love. <laughs> yeah, no, I just don't like Jonah Hill even outside SNL. I would just chalk that episode up just to having a weak host, to be honest. I don't know they could have done much with him. Um, but I like the Blue Wave commercial where they're all struggling with the election. Remember when Heidi's the terrified housewife and all that? Yeah, I
0: thought that was really I thought it was really well done. You had like the things like the kitten rolling their eyes. I think Heidi screaming at her children was probably my favorite part.
1: Yeah, okay. And aside from that, I like the uh, the Divided We Stand off-Broadway show. was. I know you liked that one more than I did. It was pretty good, but one of the problems with me that I know all these musical sketches really well is that I could flat out, I knew they stole their own song from Neurotology, that Scientology song about six, seven years ago. It was the exact same song they used in that Divided We Stand, and it just bugged me.
0: Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I liked I mean, I think by far the best moment of "United divided we stand was the New York Times review just saying Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I can get behind that. That's it's, it's, good. Very, it's very um, red chips of Spain, Robert Joulet yeah. and his brothers.
1: <laughs> OK, and despite all the controversy, I guess we've kind of skipped over this with Pete Davidson insulting the entire Republican side of the politics. I thought his roast of all the candidates was really funny. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's In spite of him getting in trouble for it, I thought the actual jokes he told about all of them, that was a really funny segment. And even watching it today and knowing the reaction, I still thought it was a funny segment. And I'm like, I find it hard to get angry at a comedian for trying to make people laugh because that's what they do. And like, does anybody think Pete is like necessarily the most sensitive when it comes to politics and stuff? <laughs> like, if that's exactly the kind of joke I would expect Pete to make. So I wasn't bothered by that at all. And I, 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 I was just going to say lost in all this controversy that I think his original roast of the candidates was pretty funny.
0: Yeah, I mean, I will say that I I still really think that Pete's best material is when it's about himself. Uh, but this is something that he obviously like. He doesn't know anything about politics, so He can just sort of like go after the looks. And I do enjoy, uh, you know, it's weird having Pete come back after all the Ariana Grande stuff happened. He had this interesting moment when he sort of pokes fun at it of how he now that I'm living back with my mom, he has this very uh, he has this very sincere sort of moment at the end where he talks about mm-hmm. like we're fine, like don't worry about us, which I. I can understand why, you know, I think on the podcast they were talking about like how that sort of just felt out of left field. But considering just how much that took up social media, I can understand if you wanted to step out of the quote unquote character of Pete Mm -hmm. Davidson and just sort of talk about it. And then, of course, it came roaring back when uh, Lieutenant Dan Crenshaw appeared next the the next week and had the thank you next, uh, which is the song that Ariana wrote about Pete, her breakup with Pete on his uh, ringtone, which I thought was just a really fun moment.
1: Yeah, I thought that whole thing with Crenshaw was very well done and well handled and like surprisingly touching coming from SNL. I really, I, I've really, seen some criticism. People didn't like the way it happened in the first place. They didn't like the apology. But I I loved how the original roast, and I loved the apology. I loved the whole segment. So I, I have no problem with that. But I do want to bring up two other things here that we have not mentioned just because I think they were very strong in this stretch of episodes. And one of them was the uh, Dave's Outside the Women's Bathroom starring Liev Schreiber.
0: Yeah, I thought, th- th- I thought this one got off to a bit of a rough start. I think Liev bookended his episode by actually stumbling over a lot of lines, both in what? his monologue and this one. But there is some really funny stuff here. Uh, just him, I'm Dave, and I'm outside the woman's bathroom, so uh, how'd it go in there? Uh, and I think <laughs> by far the, la- the line of the sketch was when Melissa's walking to the bathroom, he goes, hey, I'm Dave, I'll see you later.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a strong sketch. And again, he butchered it at the start, but it was a good concept and it was a very fun way to end a the best show of the season. But also earlier in the Schreiber episode, I loved the song. And I've not heard a lot of people talk about this one, but the we all hate the th- we all dislike the same thing song. Yeah, I really like this one. Yeah. And like if there wasn't such amazing stuff at the end of the Schreiber episode, that one would have stood out more because I thought that was going to be the biggest star of the episode. And then you had the house hunters and the two brothers and the Dave outside the bathroom. But like, yeah, that sketch was very well done. And the part with the pilot still kills me. <laughs> and when the middle of the movie he has to come and talk about the, uh, the how high they are, the altitude.
0: Yeah, I thought this was a fun one. And again, if you're talking about like if you could play about, oh, SNL either doesn't do political material or do too heavily political material. This is just a fun, like, quite literally every man type of song. Uh, and you guys see like people who weren't necessarily, you know, Song leads doing it. It was like Cecily and Beck and Ego. I think yeah. were like the three people really doing stuff, which was fun. And yeah, it's sort of like that Seinfeld-esque, like poking fun at the mundane things. Like, yeah, we all hate when the 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 chip reader beeps and nobody takes their card out. Uh, so I thought it was it was a good thing to sort of insert in there amongst all the uh, all the other more polarizing
1: things. Yeah. Okay, and I have two more just as a quick rundown before we get out of here. The uh, in the Steve Carell episode, the RV with uh, Steve and Heidi as the parents that moved out to the RV. I didn't think it was that great a sketch but man Heidi was strong in that one and I love just watching her act with her eyes she's so good with her eyes so it's just she she elevates the material so much more so and and I've seen some criticism people saying they're already sick of Heidi they're just wrong. I mean, I hate to say that, but man, she's, she is fun to watch and she's super impressive. And I've already seen people saying, you know, I, like, uh, uh, she's too much like Kristen Wiig. She's hammy. I don't like her. And I'm like, no, it's a whole different type of thing with Heidi. Cause she's like a legitimate, really strong actress. And it's, it's fun to watch her getting into these characters. Like, it's almost like she's not doing comedy. She's like doing pathos and drama and stuff. Like it's, it's crazy. So I just wanted to shout out to Heidi in that one. And I don't have a lot to say about it, but I know a lot of people like the Thanksgiving song episode, not mm-hmm. so much that the Thanksgiving song itself, but the ending where Cecily stabbed people and then stole all their stuff, which I, I didn't like that sketch at all. But at the very, at least they had a cool ending, which I did appreciate the ending.
0: Yeah, and because we've seen that sketch before. Like, I remember there was specifically one called like Deborah's song where I think it was Cecily again and someone else being like, oh, let's sing that Christmas song, Deborah's song. And I'm, I'm happy that, like, Carell, you know, committed to the bit with the spoken dialogue and everything. But I thought it was just gonna be the same type of thing where they didn't think they knew it at first, but then they all joined and they did know it. Uh, But they at least added an interesting twist at the end, where yes, uh, Steve Carell thought that Cecily was a Christmas spirit who was with them the entire time, but no, it turns out that uh, she actually was some sort of like I don't know robber baron who uh, (laughs) took all their stuff and then stabbed Beck, which was a little you know a little too kooky. But this was a pretty kooky sketch to begin with, so I thought it at least differentiated it from the previous instances we've seen. Yeah, what did you think about the RV sketch? I so I appreciated Heidi in there. It just was never. Strong for me. I don't know. I'm never a big fan of the sketches where it's like one person is in emotional distress and is just consistently getting beat up. Like mm-hmm. clearly, the sketch was about like, oh, uh, Heidi clearly did not want to get in the RV, but Steve Carell's the dumb dad who doesn't know. uh The do- I always like bringing a dog in. I'm surprised the dog didn't. Uh, it, you know, things didn't go wrong more with the <laughs> dog. But I think by far the funniest line, which I think has is now gifable is like you know a dog can punch you in the face. Uh, I think that that's by far the best part. But I think that was sort of like maybe sort of a microcosm of the Steve Carell episode, which was like, Hey, you know, we'll have Steve Carell just sort of, uh, you know, playing a dad and there's a crazy idea going on, but there doesn't really have legs to it, let alone dog legs.
1: Yeah. All right. One more thing before we move on. Um, I really didn't think this was a strong segment, but I've seen other people that thought they they did like it. Uh, the Bigfoot erotica guy.
0: Mm. What are your thoughts on that one? I thought it was a fun concept. I, I wish that, you know, part of me kind of wishes that had, if this is a version of SNL that's on, like, basic cable, they get more lascivious mm-hmm. with yeah. it. Like, the actual fanfiction reading was good, but I felt like it, in another universe, it could have gone even further and funnier. I thought Mikey did a good job, especially when he keeps going back to, like, nope, those is, this is just a joke. This is all just a funny ha mm-hmm. uh, But the actual fanfic material, I think, did not substantiate uh, enough of the humor for me, personally.
1: Yeah, I think it just went on way too long, too.
0: <laughs> that's true, and I'm, I'm trying to remember... Was there another feature in that update, or was it just him?
1: Uh, The other feature I have in my notes here was uh, LeVar Ball, Keenan.
0: Oh, right. Do you have any (laughs) thoughts about the return of David Ortiz or LeVar Ball? Because it's interesting how we talked about the new update characters, but we got, uh, to pair with that, two recurring characters from Keenan.
1: Yeah, um, uh, I, I don't have much to say about them. Kenan's always strong. Those are always going to be funny. I, i always hope for less recurring stuff. So that's my thing, but I will just tie back to something you said right at the start of the podcast, how strong weekend update is these last couple episodes. And I've seen other people dispute that. I see other people say that the weekend update is not strong. But like, I think it's a consistently strong part of the show with or without the correspondence just because Jost and Che and, and uh, Che, sorry, I, we get in trouble for saying it wrong. But Che are so strong. And I will say my MVP of the last three episodes overall is Michael Che. I think he mm. was so good. in since in particular him, these last three episodes.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I couldn't really think of like an. MVP just because things were so erratic, but I guess if this was the most consistent part, I guess that would make sense. So I'm excited to see where they go into this last, uh you know, these last few weeks of December. We'll assume because we have an episode on December first. I'm assuming we'll get what another three if we'll get one on the first and the eighth and the fifteenth, and then they, then we'll do the break for the year.
1: Do we know who the hosts are for all those yet? So we know the
0: the host for December first for next week is going mm-hmm. to be Claire Foy with musical guest weird name anderson dot pack p-a-a-k there's an actual period before his last name
1: (laughs) welcome to the old white guys discussing periods and names
0: (laughs) i don't know i feel like uh some people who both do a lot of writing i feel like the copy editor in me is just sort of like blanching at the same but you know what if he makes a career out of it like go
1: for it do what do we know about claire foy other than i've never heard of her
0: Claire Foy is an Emmy-winning actress who's known for her work in The Crown. Okay. Uh, she, she played the queen there, and she's actually, I'm assuming she's making her appearance because she's playing uh, Elizabeth Salander in The Newest Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movie uh which I hear is actually not doing too well. So she is another one one of these uh, primarily dramatic actresses. So we'll see if she's able to uh what they'll bring for her. This will be the first episode back and that can either mean very good things or maybe some very rusty things, but this is another sort of new blood they're bringing in. I'm happy that they're bringing in some female talent because up to this point 5 out of the first 6 hosts were male. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy that we might be deviating. I'm assuming that we'll, we'll get some sort of random host for the 8th and I'm going to assume either an alumni for the 15th or someone like Drake, uh, like a, like a, a solid musical guest host combo to do the, uh, the pre Christmas episode.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I am historically always behind on who these actors and actresses are. So thank you for explaining Claire Foy. And please explain who the next two hosts are as well. Cause I may not know them either. <laughs>
0: I'll explain it. I'll explain it retroactively because we will be back in your ears uh, around the holiday season to talk about December, 2018 at large. Considering how the season has gone so far, it'll be super interesting to see, what direction do they go with the absurdism? Now that the midterms are over, what what are they going to do politics-wise? Uh, you know, Could we see some cast members get added it after the winter break? We shall see. Uh, Mario, for now, how can people follow you on social media and catch up on some of the projects you're working on?
1: Uh, the main thing is you can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And I'm not working on a lot of projects at the moment. I had my staff picks movie, podcast. I haven't done a new episode in a couple months. I'm taking a break. At the moment, I am uh, writing a book, Uh, I don't know if people know my history with Survivor, the TV show, but I wrote a book called When It Was Worth Playing For. You can buy it on Amazon. It's the history of Survivor through the first three seasons, 2000 through 2001, and I am currently working on the sequel to that book, which covers Survivor seasons four through six. So I am hard at work on that, and I'm not really uh, doing any other uh, stuff at the moment. Hopefully, I'll pick up staff picks later, but again, if you want to just stay in touch with me, at MarioJLanz on Twitter is where I normally uh, keep people up to date.
0: You can find me on Twitter at a Mike Bloom type. You can check out the podcast I do every week, uh, actually ramping up a lot of reality TV come winter time, falling heavy like snow between Survivor, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, Top Chef, we'll get some uh, Celebrity Big Brother involved in there, maybe some Amazing Race. I also write for Parade.com and The Hollywood Reporter, as well as podcasts with Mario occasionally about Survivor as well, and a bunch of other random topics, so make sure you're tuning to my feed there. You can also make sure you're subscribed to SNL After Party uh, on Twitter, at SNL Podcast, and also make sure you're subscribed on your pod, Catcher of Choice, because John and going to be back in the next three weeks to talk about the final episodes of 2018, and then we'll be right back to round them all up uh let us know your thoughts as well if you agree or disagree with us about our thoughts on november 2018 and where snl season 44 stands it's, it's a very interesting time and i'm excited to see where we go from here mario
1: yeah i'm gonna say after talking this through with you and going over these topics i'm i'm a little higher on the season than i was going into it just because i was kind of down after that corral episode and i didn't just don't like jonah hill on snl but the the more topics we brought up i think i'm 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 cautiously optimistic that maybe we could still go with this uh, this absurd angle SNL's going in, and maybe they'll start hitting some home runs here. So we'll see. Flying higher than a frozen capuchin
0: is Mario Lanza. Uh, well, thank you all so, so much for listening. Again, let us know your thoughts on this podcast. We'll be back after the next three weeks to wrap up December 2018. For now, take care. Bye-bye.